Hello and welcome to AMM Conversation, the official podcast of the Association of Medical Media. I'm your host, Jason Karras. Season two of the podcast is exploring the new normal in medical media. In this episode, we continue the conversation around how medical media is coping, adapting, and excelling during the 2020 COVID-19 pandemic. Our guest today is Benji Kane, Vice President of Experiential Learning Strategy at Medscape Live, the newly formed live event business unit of Medscape WebMD. Benji joined Medscape Live in February and has overseen the recent pivot to virtual, spearheading the launch of the new Medscape Live virtual conference solutions platform. Benji has been creating experiential content and product focused events for 15 plus years. He previously produced keynotes and conferences for Google and founded an experiential marketing event and immersive technology production agency. Thanks for joining me today. Let's start the conversation. What is your new normal? What is my new normal? Well, my new normal spent is a lot of time spent in the same chair, creating uh, all the different types of environments that we used to create by traveling around the world. So the new normal is uh, the word that I've been trying to avoid, but there's no better word, the pivot virtual and figuring out, uh, you know, figuring out a way to get all of the same information in front of the same people uh, in in familiar ways, in comfortable ways, but in a completely new environment, and that is virtual conferences. Tell me a little bit about your team, like your VP, experiential learning strategy. What does your team look like? Full-timers, part-timers, freelancers, you got teams, you know, what do you, what do you have? Sure, so the Medscape Live business unit has about 80 employees, and they're spread amongst operations, graphic design, uh, you know, our uh, grant developers. And then uh, on the actual execution side, there's a, there's a fairly large team. However, the virtual conferences, when the coronavirus pandemic started and we decided to pivot to virtual, we, we went a couple different directions at once to try to throw a few things at the wall and see what stuck. Uh, so initially my team was me, so when I came to Medscape Live in February, we were live only, uh, and anything virtual was was usually just kind of an, endur- an, an enduring on-demand experience uh, so that we would record what we did live and allow people to come watch it at a later time or listen to it. Uh, and it was all live, and I think if my memory serves me correctly, we had 153 events on the calendar for the year anything from one hour symposiums through a full slate of uh, 43 proprietary conferences that we own. Uh, when we went virtual, obviously our live events went down to zero and we dipped our toe. Some of the events we postponed, some we canceled. Uh, but as of last week, we have made a full pivot over to virtual for the rest of 2020 uh, with a few exceptions. So we're looking at an upcoming Let's see, on Thursday, we launched 15 new virtual uh, conferences. And this is going to be the first time that the whole team comes together on the same day. And we're training all sorts of new people how to build the conferences. We're going to get together. So uh, we're still going to maintain that 153 number. And then we also have virtual promotional events, uh, which have been uh, the, the pharmaceutical industry has been kind of banging down our door for opportunities to do promotional events as well. Wow. Yeah, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I've, going online has been really interesting because we're not 
kind of reimagining an existing product. We are building a product while we're, we're, we're building a product while we're productizing it, while we're activating it, trying to keep in mind all the lessons that we were trying to bring to uh, what I call the real life as well. You got on board and you went not just zero to 60, but zero to 180, right? <laughs> zero to 200 Lam Lamborghini style. <laughs> yeah, I came on board in February and uh, it was great. My second day of work, my manager said, hey, you should uh, go to the conference in the Caribbean tomorrow. And then I got back from that and they said, well, you know, we have a, an ophthalmology conference in Aspen. And then why don't you go to Hawaii and check out the dermatology conference? I thought, all right, I, I, I like this uh, uh, audience experiential at Medscape, but I had just returned uh, from, I just returned from about two weeks going to, within that two weeks, went to 13 events. Uh, so I was in a different city pretty much every day and got back and we were sitting and uh, I was putting my head down trying to figure out how do I start organizing all of this great information I just learned and what kind of strategy do we want to put into it going forward. Uh, and that night, I remember the night that uh, the dominoes started falling of all the conferences started started to cancel. And I closed one notebook and opened up another and I wrote virtual conferences at the top. Uh, so I quite literally did a 180 there and just started, uh, you know, took everything I learned at those events, put them off to the side and, and started down a new path very quickly. So under a month. All right. So, you know, let's talk about challenges. It's been a challenging time for everyone. And, you know, you mentioned the word pivot, you know, quick pivot. Um, what's been some of the what's been the biggest challenge for you? Not just getting your feet wet and on foundational, et cetera, et cetera. But what's been the biggest challenge? The biggest challenge I have dealt with so far has been uh, helping each organization understand uh, that we work with. Um, understand that the challenges they're facing and getting their education and getting their information out in front of their target audiences are, while they are completely unique, are also the same challenges everyone is dealing with and, um, and figuring out how to institutionalize those best practices in a way that allows us to efficiently uh, and quickly and cost effectively convert to virtual while also allowing uh, of our internal conferences and all of our partner uh, partner events to maintain their own personality and to maintain what really made them special and what was attractive to their attendant uh, attendees and in, in previously um, so finding that balance has been hard because we really didn't want to put out any sort of cookie cutter um, program but we had to find a way to to quickly do this pivot and uh, find the right balance between the two what about challenges with attendees and registrations in, in that manner? When we first started, our challenges with attendees were, were a, a big book of unknowns. We did not know whether attendees were going to, even at the most basic level, still continue to search out this type of education or um, being in the medical field. Obviously, a lot of our attendees or potential attendees were out on the front lines uh, in, in New York and major cities at the time, major hotspots at the time. So we really had to stop and think about what is in the best service of the attendees right now? Um, and some of those specific challenges were how do we create an agenda and how do we convert this into a format that will be digestible by the attendees in terms of both their time and availability and desire? Uh, hospitals, 
everyone is either working at a hospital or home all day. If you were home all day, you potentially, um, you know, you potentially had, had children to take care of or, uh, you know, try explaining to your manager or boss that you want to take three days off to sit in front of your computer at home while they pay you to work from home to attend a virtual conference. Not an easy conversation. So figuring out the, the best approach to packaging up the content and getting it out in front of people. And that has changed over time. So when we first started, we were very concerned about scheduling appointment viewing. This was back when uh, when the, the, the quarantine first started and everyone was doing virtual happy hours. I know myself and some friends were you know, touring virtual art galleries on the weekends. Uh, and at the time, so trying to forecast that and then be, you know, forecasting your attendees really changes the type of education you're going to do. Are you going to focus on small two-way breakouts uh, that works great for a conference of 200, 300, 400 people. But if all of a sudden a conference that was going to be 500 people turns into 2,500 people online, we no longer could support that type of, um, the infrastructure could support it, but we didn't have the number of moderators and the number of faculty to do it. So we had to make some assumptions going into it. Uh, what's turned out to be our biggest question mark has turned into one of our greatest values, and that is numbers have gone. Uh, in general, numbers have gone up, I'd say anywhere between 20 to 50% for all of our conferences. Uh, some of it, I think, is a combination between uh, prices have gone down. And so, you know, there's no hotel rooms to pay for. There's no air travel and, and food and bev. Uh, and also, it's become more accessible globally. Uh, people can watch in their own time zone. People can, uh, you know, if they wanted, didn't have to fly across the world anymore to get to see their the favorite, the opinion leaders. So we've been able to take these challenges with attendees, um, you know, in numbers and count pretty head on. What has been more of a challenge is, uh, has been twofold. One is that the attendee experience when it comes to getting to interact and do the networking uh, with other attendees and with the faculty, and two has been the supporters uh, who are invaluable to to making these events happen, making sure that they still have the opportunities to connect with the attendees and get their message out in the same way. So on that on that first note, we spent a lot of time at the beginning trying to figure out what's the best way to bring that networking component in, and for for our own conferences as well as the, our partner conferences. Every conversation started with, you know, to our, to our guests, the, the nights of, of networking, the galas, the dinners, the, you know, the luau or the barbecue were some of the best nights. And that's where the stories come from and the memories. And that's where they get to talk to their colleagues. Um, and we have tried a few different ways to approach that. Um, at the end of the day, what we have had to make a little peace with and what we've had to try to help others make peace with is that it's never going to be quite the same online. Um, and we don't want to look at 2020 as a lost networking opportunity, but I think we need to, and we, and we helped our, I helped kind of talk my team through it internally and helped our partners realize that 2020 isn't going to be the, we have worked to enable all of those connections from attendee to attendee, but, but, have also had to kind of come to the fact that 2020 is going to be a year. We're going to miss out on some of that networking. And that just means in 2021, uh, 
you know, hopefully we'll all be back to gathering in, uh, again, in the real world. Uh, and I'm sure there's going to be a significant. You tried, but you've kind of had to punt a little bit on on the so the networking part of it and the social sociability part of a live meeting doesn't translate as well virtually, obviously. That it's true, and it's it's an unfortunate fact, but I think it's a fact, and it's something that I just kind of wanted to rip the bandaid off of and come to grips with early, and and keeping that in mind, and then which allowed us to avoid trying to recreate that, you know, cocktail hour or that barbecue or luau or something like that, allowed us to really focus on the opportunities we do have. And those are things like educational forums, breakout rooms, um, we can st uh, cases and cocktails where we simply do the same kind of program we would do anyway, but we open it up and everyone is visible and that's having a cocktail together. Um, and then I think it, my hopes are that next year that, attendee to attendee networking will become more robust everyone will be very much excited to see each other although we'll still probably be you know um the second biggest challenge uh i'd say it's the second biggest challenge because my mind is always on the audience experience but there's a lot of people who would say this is the biggest challenge is the ability for supporters to get their message to and interact with the attendees uh and obviously there's so many reasons that's important uh starting with the fact that that's what the supporters have paid for, but really going to the fact that the supporters are there because they have important information and, and important releases to share, important science to share, and we want to make sure it gets out. Um, and that has been less of a technological pivot and more of getting back into an old school marketing mentality with them and sitting down and saying, you know, this virtual exhibit booth, you have your your autoplay video and your resources and your live chat and you know whatever bells and whistles you want but let's think of that as as kind of a means to an end let's think of that as that's where we're getting people by doing all sorts of other smart marketing and then taking a step back and saying what what can we embrace from the the regular old world of marketing that is going to get your name and your message out in front of everyone in a regulatory compliant way uh that will allow you to get this message out and the result of that will be that they'll come to your booth, click and interact, watch the video and go out. Uh, so, you know, really changing that touch point from the booth being your primary touch point to the booth being the goal of the, the if you had an effective touch point, they go to your booth and get the information. Uh, so there's been a lot of um, work and we've worked a lot with our regulation experts on uh, how we can bring names and logos and information into different parts of the conference that we have a little more leeway with virtually than we do in, in uh, physical spaces. Uh, how um, product theaters and how, uh, you know, a lot of focus on product theaters, a lot of focus on um, grant support of educational, um, a, lot, a lot of support focusing on, you know, uh, unrestricted grant education, grant-based education. Um, which really has allowed the topics that the supporters want to talk about to flourish and has um, has grown the organic desire for attendees to go interact with the supporters because they're learning more about the topic uh, and the topic of you know whatever the whatever the supporters are there to talk about then they say oh well, you know, while I'm here, I should probably go find out what the you know latest and greatest information from our supporters are. So getting supporters to kind of think alternatively and to understand that they're, they're also not gonna get that quick stop and chat at the booth 
and hand out a flyer, but the people that they do, the attendees that do come to their virtual exhibit booth are going to be highly, you know, in the sales world, we'll call them highly qualified leads because they have now interacted with you, they've sought you out and they've come to you. Um, and I, I have seen a nice balance there where, you know, we're going for quality over quantity and we're making sure that we're using old school marketing techniques, uh, you know, back uh, just to, to get people where they are instead of trying to get people to change their patterns. We'll be right back after a message from the Association of Medical Media. Hi, I'm Jess Campbell from the Association of Medical Media. We're thrilled you're listening to our new podcast series, AMM Conversation. Along with our podcast, AMM is pleased to host a variety of resources for our members, located within the Knowledge Exchange on ammonline.org. Among these member resources are presentations and recaps from previous educational sessions, and our Medical Media Matters fact sheets that cover key topics underscoring the value and importance of medical publishing. The AMM is proud to be there to support everyone through these difficult times, and while we wish we could gather in person as a community, for now, we hope you keep an eye out for our next virtual event. You can find out more, access our Knowledge Exchange, and become an AMM member by visiting ammonline.org. We're back with Benji Kane of Medscape Live, chatting about the new normal in medical media. Now let's get back to the conversation. Tell me a little bit about, you know, I know this has probably been rough for you as going from a live event or an in-person event to a virtual event and getting the sales folks on board, both keeping sales or transitioning sales or keeping the prices where they were <laughs> or negotiating the prices. And, and, you know, what, how has that evolved over the last three, four months, especially as not, you know, it looks like all of fall and winter, maybe even the beginning of 2021 still going to be virtual or minimal live in-person experience. The way that supporters have been reacting and the sales teams have been dealing with the, uh, the pivot to virtual has been a full spectrum of fascinating and mind-blowing uh, curiosities and paradoxes. At first, no one knew what was going on. And I, you know, I'm going to say half and half, but take that with a grain of salt because it's not data back. But half of the supporters said, oh, no, it's just as valuable. There's nothing live. We're going digital. And the other half said, no, virtual means nothing to us. And then at some point in the next month or so, those two groups sort of literally flip-flopped. And the ones who were totally okay with virtual now had corporate mandates coming down about how to measure virtual. And the ones that were like, no, virtual has no value to us, all of a sudden were coming and saying, oh, yeah, submit your, uh, submit your virtual grant request now. We're expediting them. Um, so it was a, a quick shift. And, um, but since then, the, the each pharmaceutical industry supporter has pretty much come up with their own rules and their own thoughts on it. Um, there are some supporters that have created their own virtual exhibit booths and their entire virtual experiences. And when they sponsor, we link out to them and they take it from there. There are some who, um, there are unfortunately some who, and I think this is a, a real missed opportunity, some who just won't give the same number to virtual as they will to uh, physical experiences. And, you know, I get it, but I don't think we're not working under the same, I mean, the world is not functioning under the same rules that we functioned under before. And I think there needs to be some consideration made. And I think the, um, different companies and teams have tried new things during this 
pandemic and with the work from home environment and the, a little bit of the, the physical disconnect. Is, is Slack or is there another new workflow technology or philosophy that you've adopted? Yeah, there, there have been a couple, uh, more than a couple, there have been a few technologies and technological communication concepts that I think have been really important to our success. One that I personally have been focused on with various levels of success within the company, it's a, a longstanding company and there's some people are deep rooted in their ways, has been differentiating between synchronous and asynchronous communications. Um, how email and differs from Slack and how Slack differs from video meetings. Uh, and going along with that, collaborative documents, collaborative spreadsheets, really, um, really shifting a focus to allowing people access to the information they need without needing a phone call or an email to get access to it. Um, and, and understanding that with the shift to work from home, we were really lucky from an organizational standpoint that the, the vast majority of our employees were able to still continue kind of business hours. Um, but there were a few who couldn't and they were one, some of the ones to help with the asynchronous communication saying, hey, you can't count on a response from me within an hour on email right now. I'm, I'm working different times from you. So it, it makes you stop and be a lot more thoughtful and deliberate when you send the email. You know, remember you can send an email and put two hours of work on someone's plate for 30 seconds of work on your side. So, uh, you know, helping people be more thoughtful and deliberate about emails, helping people organize conversations synchronously, um, and then using collaborative documents so that everyone has insight. For example, coming into a meeting, we always had agendas, but now we have an agenda that everyone has access to for the full week between the meetings and can go add and update and mark things off. Um, and I think, and I, gosh, I hope these advances stick around uh, because I think that even when we're, we're all back in the office, um, which I, you know, I'm not sure to what extent we all will be back in the office, but even when we are, I hope they stick around because I think it, we are just as, as productive, if not more productive, because we're not often waiting for other people. Uh, and um, we're much less stressed because the information uh, is accessible to us in a much more uh, convenient way. So I hope they stick around. I think Slack, um, the other great thing about Slack is I barely leave Slack during the day. Everything feeds into it. I keep an eye on uh, our customer service feed comes into Slack and our my Google Calendar and Google Drive come into Slack and Workfront, our project management platform, comes into Slack. And I have some Slack add-ons for myself, you know, uh, some that um, allow me to do instant polls. So I can come in and just do uh, what's, uh, an, an instant stand-up being... How's everyone feeling about your current project right now? You know, click A, B, C, D. And, you know, it allows me to take a look. Hey, you know, six out of 10 people are, are feeling that this is kind of challenging right now. Let's stop and have a talk. Whereas if everyone clicks, they're doing fine. It's great. This project's on track, you know. Um, little, little quick ways to keep things moving, keep things rolling, and keep people accountable, mutually accountable. Is there one or two examples of things that just have not worked well and you had to can it? What has not worked well and we've had to can, I'd say nothing completely. And that is 100% to the credit of all of the people much smarter than me that work in the organization who at every turn of the corner have come up with solutions. Um, you know, we've backtracked and we've moved around and we've decided to prioritize one thing over the other. But there has been nothing that someone, uh, whether internally or one of our partners, really wanted to do that we haven't been able to pull off. Um, what I, what we have done is really focus on, I think it's helped 
a lot of conferences, a lot of conferences over the years have become a little self-congratulatory or a lot of, you know, patting, patting each other on the back. And uh, which is great to recognize those who got the conference to that place in the first initially, but it leads to things like 14. Yeah, that the, the editing part is interesting. And, you know, in an, when you're talking about it in an event space that I come from journalism background and I've always, always told my writers, you know, it's, it's harder to write a great 500 word story than it is a great 5,000 word story because you got to. You got to be concise, get your message across, right? You know, um, and uh, you know, editing yourself is not always the best thing. And, and like you said, in an event space, editing—it's easier to always say yes than to say no, right? And that's not always to a positive. Just always say yes. Sure, we'd love to have another person. Or the gang's all together again, right? Exactly. And and part of that has also been uh, having to say, you know, the gala where someone comes up and you recognize them. I, this year, that might just have to be an article on your website. Uh, we could do it, and and we have done it, and some have been great, and some not. But you know, we really are are fighting um, for we're we're fighting for time and attention from our attendees. Not that they don't want to be there with all of their hearts, but but they're home on their computer, and their manager might be asking them questions, and their kids are pulling them to go play, and their dogs need to be walked, and you know, and plus not to mention the basic distraction of every, literally everything else on the internet. Um, so keeping things succinct and a tight program um, in little things like eliminating the step where you bring someone up to introduce the next person, just have one presenter introduce the next one. You don't have to have someone come up in the middle. It just helps, you know, keep the focus, keep people's interest, um, you know, keeps it from feeling too chaotic. And, and I think online delivers a better educational experience. Tell me a little bit about your team. Has there been one specific part of your team that's really surprised you? Has there been one specific part of my team that's really surprised me? So, you know, I never had any doubt in the team, but I certainly knew that, you know, some, some departments and some members of each department were probably going to be a little intimidated by this shift. My multimedia team, uh, you know, we knew they could handle it. Um, the operations from a high level, like, of course they can do it. It's all the same online. But there's there's a part where um, some of the team members who have been doing live conferences and, and, you know, sitting with faculty in a room and going through content and that kind of thing, they were the ones that I was a little more, um, I don't want to say I was nervous about it because I knew they would do it, but they're the ones that I knew were going to, to um, need to take the most time to kind of pause and breathe and think about the experience and, 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 you know, apply empathy and be in this, in the shoes of, uh, of the, of the people they're dealing with. Um, and it was a little bumpy at first, you know, trying to shift. Um, we didn't really have the time to do it in a way, you know, when you launch a new product, you gosh, you can spend months or years putting together the product and documenting and creating procedures and testing it and doing things. You know, we were we were building this race car while it was driving around the tracks. So, uh, and while our sales team was selling sponsorships that we had to get onto it while it was driving around the tracks while we were still installing the engine. Um, so, uh, at first, some of the procedures we tried to kind of shift over from from the physical event space, and they fell a little flat. Uh, and and there was some 
I'd say the team was a little, there was a point when they were like a little deflated. Um, and, and in a way that I saw that they just wanted to excel and something wasn't matching up. So we really sat down and uh, had, a, had a listen and learn session with each other and just kind of figured out what, what is missing from that conversion? What is missing from the physical experience that you're not getting in the live experience that's leading this to be a little more challenging of a, of a part of pre-production? And I don't know if I could point to any specific result out of it, but but I think just the the ability to workshop and the ability for everyone to get together and kind of talk about the challenges they were having. Gosh, the next day, everyone's, uh, everyone's really stepped up and started coming with ideas of, hey, if this is how we do it in the physical space, here are three ways we could do it in the virtual space. What does everyone think? And that was the point where I, uh, you know, as a leader was proud and I stood back and I said, you know what? I they're they're off to the races and they were figuring it out and um stepping up and coming up with new ideas and I had the luxury of sitting back and saying that sounds great go for it uh so the team really stepped up but I think that that initial transition from those who have worked so long in the physical space to the virtual space and especially the ones who interact with the faculty was probably the most challenging part of it um what was also really interesting was to see who which skills were cross-applied in ways that we didn't know. You know, we found out some of our graphic designers had deep coding backgrounds. We found out that some of our, um, we found out that some of our salespeople had, two of them had worked at a virtual conference company 10 years ago, uh, you know, and, and kind of already could talk the talk. You know, so you, we, by, by pushing everyone a little bit, we found out that there were, um, there were resources that we had and could count on that we didn't know were there uh, and turned out to be invaluable. Yeah. I was just saying, you know, the events people I've spoken to are, you know, followed a little bit on, you know, LinkedIn, you know, a lot of times there's that once I get on the plane to go home and the event is over, there's always that feeling of thankfulness or gratitude. Have you guys sort of, you know, in the virtual space, is there ever that time where you feel good? Oh, we're done. Or is it just right to the next one? Yes, yes, and yes. So um, after a successful conference, uh, you, at first when we were, were doing our month of and our on-demand experiences, we didn't get that rush because we, we you know, it's like kind of launching a website and it, an important website with great content. But as we have switched uh, into kind of that, the live conference experience online, um, we, I even just last Friday, so we wrapped a conference at four o'clock and was sort of, we had no plans to, but everyone sort of organically migrated to our, uh, our production comm line, which is an open Google meet call that anyone could hop in, you know, anyone involved in the project can hop in and talk to each other, like a walkie talkie. Uh, somehow by, by five o'clock, you know, the majority of the team was in there. People were having cocktails, celebrating, talking, you know, telling stories. It was like, you know, it was like a, um, it was like being at a convention center in the back after the stage closes and everyone's, you know, finally sitting down for the first time. Anyway, people talking about, oh, I don't understand. I've been sitting in this chair all day, but my legs feel like I've been, you know, walking around the Javits Center, uh, you know, and um, uh, it just, we really got that moment of joy until, of course, someone had to, you know, be the, the, the Debbie Downer and come in and say, hey, guy, we need to start it again on Monday. Um, so... <laughs> Uh, no, but we really do. And I think that culturally it's important because people are in events, real, real event people, 
that's that's their you know that that's the second part of their paycheck is that moment after an event where they have that feeling of relief and especially when when you know that on monday all the phone calls are going to be good and nothing went wrong um that that's that's currency that's soul to an event producer uh and to have that experience virtually was really amazing and it's something i want to figure out how to institutionalize so that we can still maintain that social aspect how has this pandemic potentially changed medical conferences for the long term medical conferences along with all conferences i wonder and i fear especially putting my mind fully towards that attendee experience will we ever feel safe and i and and we all know that feeling of having the the you know whatever is hanging over our head or the monkey on the shoulder and or the elephant in the room whatever metaphor you want to put on it will we ever feel safe in the same room networking will it ever feel the same uh because there are a lot of people have made a lot of time uh, time investment and put their heart and soul into creating those environments and um I don't know about you, but I don't, I don't know if I'm ready to go back out to a restaurant. And I don't know if I'll be ready to go to a restaurant in 2021, let alone a conference. And, and the flip side of that is how can we message, how can we decide what to do and do it properly? Because to be very transparent, to do everything totally properly and safely according to the, the most stringent of, of rules, would be completely cost prohibitive to go back to the live environment. We wouldn't be able to, um, or it wouldn't be, we wouldn't be able to justify the expense of that amount of space compared to the amount of people we have, you know, uh, and, and so on. So I, we're really going to have a challenge deciding what to do. Um, and the event industry is, is, is coming out with different sets of standards. And, and, and I think they're really good, but I think we're, we have a long journey ahead to convince As an event producer, my job is to mitigate unknowns and to uh, and to workshop through and to identify all of our unknowns in a workshop. That is all for this episode of AMM Conversation, official podcast of the Association of Medical Media. Thank you for listening. Make sure to join us next week as we continue exploring the new normal in medical media with industry veteran Dora Shankman. More information on the new normal in medical media is available at AMM Online. Make sure to listen and subscribe to the AMM Conversation on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you enjoy your podcasts. The views, thoughts, and opinions expressed in this podcast belong solely to the guests and not necessarily to the host, AMM, or any other group or individual.